0: Past, Present, Future Live. In depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week we have a really great interview with singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer Tosh Sultana. We talked about Tosh's early musical days in Melbourne, Australia, playing in clubs and busking. In 2016, the video for the song Jungle, recorded in Tosh's living room, went viral and now has almost 100 million views on YouTube. But Tosh isn't an overnight sensation. They have an intense work ethic and a sense of determination that belies the hippie exterior. We talked about getting into a flow state creatively, which was also the title of Tosh's first album. We also discussed the human addiction to technology and social media, and the upsides of having access to technology and a world's worth of musical information and inspiration. Tosh also shares the nourishment they've received from being home during the pandemic. We also talked about Tosh's approach to creating their layered music and the mental and physical preparation that goes into their electric live performances. After the interview, you'll hear Tosh perform I Am Free, Let the light in and pretty lady. If you like what you hear on this show, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Tosh Sultana. I am here with Tosh Sultana. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm all right, man. How's it going?
0: going well um thank you so much for joining we're we're excited to chat i know you have a lot going on you have you have an album that i think by the time this airs your album will be out that you've been working on it seems like you've been keeping busy but i want to get into that but i have to first ask go all the way back do you have an earliest musical memory or or an early musical memory
1: yeah i mean my parents are uh Got a vault of them. So what I've been told is that when I was really little, anything that was in the shape of a guitar, I would pick it up. So, you know, when we're young, we have all those little plastic toys and all that. So I had all of that, mainly guitars, and I'd be on it all day and all night, strumming it, sounding like absolute shit. I'm so I'm sure like I annoyed everybody. I think my grandfather, so he obviously acknowledged that as something a little bit deeper. I don't know how, but he did. And then when I was three years old, he gave me this kind of three-quarter size flamenco nylon string guitar, and that's where it began. So it started way, way back then just playing by ear like dad would put a record on and I'd just be trying to like play on one string or whatever and when I got a little bit older like I'd never let that go but I didn't really have a guitar at that point and I was like begging my dad like I just would love a guitar I'd love a guitar like we didn't have two sticks to rub together when I was growing up like we did not have money at all right but um we managed to do everything that we wanted to do. And I had an awesome childhood. My, on my eighth birthday, I'm in my room playing with my cousins, having a nice time. And then my, I think, it, I actually think it was my uncle knocked on my bedroom door and goes, All right, Tash, come out here. What have you done? And I was always in trouble because I'd always <laughs> done something. I was a real cheeky little fuck. And uh-huh. <laughs> um, I thought, Fuck, what have I done? Walk into the lounge room. And there's this fully black Fender Squire just chilling there with a little Marshall amp. Wow. And they're like, happy 8th birthday. And that's the electric guitar. So after that, my family put me, or my mum and dad put me in some lessons at my primary school. And I kept that up for a couple of years um, until I, I finished primary school and a couple of years into early high school I had lessons at private lessons and then the guitar teacher kind of said I don't think I can teach you anymore (laughs) I think you've learned all that you can from me and from then is when I took it in my own hands and then applied what I knew about the guitar across different instruments and yeah and then I then I started playing gigs so when I was 13 I uh, started. I wrote a list of all the open mic nights in Victoria, which okay. is the state that I live in in Australia. So around Melbourne and in the countryside, whatever, from Monday to Sunday, I had a list of everywhere that you could book in and play. Right, and then the, one of the first open mics that I walked into, there was no one in there. Right, and we walked in. This is how this is how naive I was back then. I walked in there and we were just like, well, where's the fucking people, man? And they were like, well, it's your job to get the people in here. And it's just like, shit, like, shit. So anyway, that's where it began. And every night, pretty much every night I'd be in there and, um, I acquired a fake ID that said that I was older than what I was, so that I could get into these places and play. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, man, these security guards like they fucking knew that I wasn't eighteen. They knew, right. Right. but they just let me in. They were just like, "Yeah, cool, yeah, we like you. You're a good kid. Come on in." And then that's where I started playing live at all these open mics. And was and that just then- guitar? Just it was like guitar and then like foot percussion kind of thing.
0: So you're already Um, doing multi-instrumental stuff.
1: I mean, I think anyone can do it, (laughs) to be honest.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I don't think I could.
1: I think most people can. And then (laughs) after that, um, I thought, well, my dad was like, well, you probably need to kind of try and sell some CDs at your shows and whatnot. So I did a little... EP when I was 16 and I, I would sell that for like five bucks at every show. I'd sit next to the printer at home just printing all these homemade CDs and just writing on them and mm-hmm. selling them. And then when I finished school, well, actually the good thing about that was it opened up an entire network of other musicians. So then we started doing gigs together, playing festivals together, doing tours together, opening for, for one another And then when I was 18, I finished school and my mom was like, you need to get a job. And I was like, fuck that. Um, So I started busking. And then on my 18th birthday, my dad said, I'm going to get you one more present because it's your 18th birthday and after that, you know, you're, you're an adult. And he said, you can pick one thing. And, he go, and I said, oh, I think I might get a banjo. And he goes, yep, good idea. And then I saw this RC30 rolling loop station tucked away in the corner in a little box and I thought, hmm, I think I'm going to get that. And he goes, I reckon you're making a big mistake here. You should just get the banjo. And I <laughs> said, no, I think I actually want to get the loop station. Mm-hmm. And that's where the looping began and the busking and all that type of thing.
0: Can I just go back real quick? It seems like your parents were pretty supportive.
1: Yeah, they were.
0: Even though they probably did want you to have a different career than music. But what was their perspective no. on you? Did they want you to do this?
1: My dad was like all in. He was just like, in his own words, he was just like, you're going to make it. I know you are. I know you are. And he would tell that to everybody. And I was so young, you know what I mean? Like I was fucking shit. So other people would be looking at me thinking... Yeah, I mean, like, the guitar's not even in tune, so I don't know why you're trying to tell us that your kid's going to be something because, like, what the fuck is that? Can't sing for shit. And, yeah, and he he would just do that and he he would go into music stores and just be like, no, this is my kid. This is what they're doing. You're going to know them. And I think people would just be like, who is this fucking guy coming in? to our restaurants, our pubs, our bars, and telling us about this kid mm-hmm. that's going to be something, yeah, 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 we've heard it all before. But he stood steadfast in that, you know what I mean? And, like, even to this day, he just saying, told you. I knew. I told everyone they didn't want to listen, and I told them. <laughs> and I just think it's really funny because, like, you know, my dad is an immigrant, so he came over from overseas for a better life. and. um, yeah, that's what that's his aim. He he wanted to have a family, and give the kids as much opportunity as possible. My mom was a little bit more realistic and was kind of like, you know, you need to get a job type of thing. And my dad was like, this is the job. You've got the job. Apply it. Apply applied it everywhere and and far and wide. And you know, I hate when people say. Overnight success because that's just such that is the biggest load of shit that I've ever heard. And as an o- uh, overnight success, like this is been from three years old up until now, still continuing every single day of my life to get a little bit better, 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 better. And I think that. When people say this overnight success crap to other people, it just totally diminishes all of the training and all of the work that you've done prior to people actually finding out about who you are.
0: For sure. I'm sure that after the first video that went out and has almost 100 million views at this point, were people referring to you as that? And how did that make you feel? And what did you want to do? Well, I
1: mean, some people have said that it pisses me off when it's the media that say that shit, because it's just like, shut up. That's not the fucking go, bro. Like I might be an overnight acknowledgement to you because you didn't know about me yesterday and then today you've woken up with me on your feed. But like I wasn't born yesterday. I did a lot of work. And not even just me, everybody else who is a musician, who's actually anyone in their own right in their field that they've succeeded at or are succeeding at or climbing a ladder, For people to say, yeah, made it overnight is the biggest load of shit to anyone that has put their blood, sweat and tears into what they do because that's not the case. If you actually want overnight success, go on a talent show. That's overnight success.
0: So you've been playing music since you were three, basically.
1: Ish, trying to.
0: <laughs> trying to. Do you remember a point where you were like, I'm going to do this as my job? Or, or did it just seem like, it seems like it was pretty natural.
1: So for me, school was a complete and utter drag. And I thought, God, it's consuming so much of my day where I could just be like smoking a joint and writing a song. You know what I mean? That's kind of what my mindset was when I was a teenager as we probably all were. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: I just thought it, like school was just it was taking up so much of my time where I could have just been applying that to like the world, you know. What I've taken away from high school is fuck all, you know what I mean? Like what I learned in high the, you know, the best things that I've learned how to how to do in school was basic math. A little bit of science, reading and writing, which you learn when you're five, and you get you know you get better over time. That's the goal. But other than that, I thought it was a complete and utter waste of time. And people always say when you leave school, you're gonna miss it. Not for one moment of my life have I missed. <laughs> walking out of those gates and not coming back. Like I haven't missed it at all. Life got great as soon as I could just get that over and fucking done with. And, like, you know, some of my friends really loved school and they learnt a lot in school and it set them up for their careers because they've become doctors, they've become nurses, they've become osteos, they've become teachers, and you need that all that study to get there and the score and then uni and all that, and that's great. But that just wasn't me. And when I did leave school... I did actually get a small little job. I pretty much, I stole my friend's resume because I'd never worked a legit job before. I had no fucking qualifications, no experience at all. So anyway, I I took her resume, put my name on it, and then put the references as my mates and handed that out. And, like, they would have seen this little hoodlum-looking kid coming up, like, we're not hiring that Like, yeah, like at that point in my life, I barely looked like I had even had a shower or brushed my hair. So, you know, I wasn't going to be representing anyone's company that well. (laughs) Never got a call back apart from this one place at the Melbourne Showgrounds Catering. I got this one gig serving fucking quinoa salad and I hated it so much that I actually made an excuse to leave and I left. I got asked back for one more shift for this big event and they were like, you're the water pourer for the night. And I was so shit at that. (laughs) Like, who is so shit at pouring people water? I was because... These motherfuckers weren't that thirsty, and I was thinking that people must be so thirsty, so I'm filling up all these cups of water, yep, yours is a little bit down, I'll fill it up. And I would have just been like this irritating, like fly on shit kind Mm -hmm. of thing. (laughs) They were all drinking alcohol. They don't want water. I was useless. And then obviously I never got asked to come back, no shit, and that was the best thing ever because I was just like I'm not conforming to that world. Like I will literally do anything to not conform. I don't want to work for somebody else. I don't want to work a nine-to-five job for what? Yeah. What? Like I, I'm not doing that. So I didn't. And I went and basked on the streets every fucking day and gigged anywhere and everywhere I could even if I was the only one there like not even the sound guy like you're doing your own sound at gigs that small and whatnot and I'd be doing it for a meal and a pint of beer and that's how it began and the thing is what I always say to other people is you can't turn down the gigs that you're getting because you just don't know who's in the crowd and you just don't know who they know or who they are and that's Word of mouth will always be the the strongest, most genuine thing is to develop an organic following rather than radio and then a following, having a following and then reaching the rest of the world is kind of how I did it, a little bit old school and um, it's just way bigger than I ever thought it was going to be.
0: That's awesome. And I appreciate that because growing organically is, it's its so much better, you know, treating it as like a passion that you're trying to get better at. And, and hopefully people catch on as opposed to going at something, trying to make money or, or trying to make, you know, some kind of commercial success. If you're
1: trying to be a musician because you want to be rich, go get another job in, in a corporate firm. Because... Yeah. <laughs> it is expense after expense after expense, you know what I mean? Like you go on overseas on these tours, like people are unaware that the artist is the one that pays for all of that. You pay for everyone's flights. You pay for everyone's visas. You pay for all of your production. You pay for all of your insurance. You pay for the buses that that take you and your crew everywhere that you go and people just don't even understand how it actually works if people don't come to the show then you technically don't get paid which means that when you're paying other people it's coming out of your own pocket and like i've done so many tours where i've treated them as an investment where i've gone i'm not gonna make any money off this tour but what i am gonna do is reach all these markets that i haven't been to before and hopefully when i come back the shows will be a little bit bigger The festival will bump me a little bit higher up the lineup and I just looked at all these things as investing. From day one, investing. You want to walk away with more every time you come back and it doesn't need to be in the form of money either. Like it can be in the form of network and community and just general life experience and oneness because, yeah, if you're in it for the money, like... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe go try find something else because (laughs) I've done so many tours where I haven't even broken even. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's what it's about. You got to slug it, man. It's expensive shit.
0: I have to ask about when you posted the jungle video, and then we'll. I want to get to the newest album. I think for people who don't know, maybe everyone listening knows. It took off, and and now, as I mentioned earlier, has ninety million views on YouTube. I want to know like what your what was going through your mind, like in the you know several days after you posted it and, and how that evolved for you?
1: Well, I mean, I was doing all these physical things like playing shows and just trying to be everywhere that I could possibly be. And the one thing that was lacking was the virtual element, which is in kind of today's sense, almost bigger than reality. People were spending more time on the computer and on the phone than they actually are in reality. Even when they're at a gig, they're looking at it through their phone. It's just like, why? Yeah. Why? And I thought, well, fuck, like let's put the phone on record. And I had like a shitty iPhone 4 that was totally smashed and I just put it on the selfie. It was like one of the first ones with the selfie cam and I popped that on And yeah, just did a little jam and that started to go viral. So then I thought, well, look, I'll do like a GoPro version of it. And I just put it black and white. It wasn't even multi tracked. It was literally just one track, everything coming down to one. So you couldn't even mix it. I couldn't even mix it properly because I wasn't even. The sound is really good though. Sound is shit. The sound is shit. I listen to all of that stuff and I'm just like, what the hell is that? I don't know. What the hell is that? I don't know. Like when people say, oh, I saw your jungle video, I always say, have you seen anything more recent? <laughs> yeah, <right>. Yeah, because <laughs> like jungle video is shit. But I'm not, you know, curiously knocking your own evolution, you know. If I didn't yeah. do those things, the story would be different. And like my aim is to be better at everything than I was yesterday. And the best way to see if you've grown as a person as an artist, in any field that you do is compare it 12 months ago, compare it 18 months ago, compare it two, three, four years ago and and see the difference. And, yeah, that's how you know that you're ticking your own goals. Is like shit doesn't happen overnight. It does not happen overnight. Rome was not built in a day is what my manager said to me when we sat down together and decided to work with each other for the first time. We wrote out a list of goals we wanted to achieve, and we've smashed them out of the park. And That's awesome. Same, same again. Rome was not built in a day. It takes consistent effort every day.
0: That is amazing. I know you've talked before about the 2018 album Flow State and that idea of getting to a place creatively and and being in that place of creation and you know, people who've, who've heard of that idea of flow, there's a book. There's a whole way of thinking about that. And it's cool if you played sports, if you played music, you, you know, then you know what that feels like. How do you try to get to that point creatively?
1: So the name of the record was from the book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, just about developing flow in what you do because then it becomes you you're not trying to do it it's you so like a marathon runner will become the the marathon will become the the present moment enduring what they're doing they're not just running the race they're experiencing it and that's the best form of high that you can possibly get because it's fully and utterly present When you lock in with every single cell in your body and then you don't even realise you're doing it until it's over and it's just like, whew, the veil lifts and you're you're back in reality and you're just like, holy shit. And that's how I feel when I play music and um, that's what I try to apply to everything that I do is flow. I try and apply it when I'm talking when I practice, when I'm singing, when I'm surfing. And um, it's a nice way to live.
0: Yeah, it is if you can get there.
1: You can get there. Anybody can get there.
0: I know that you've talked a lot about nature and it feels like being in nature helps you. And and you've you've talked a few times about the kind of the, our addiction to technology, which is true. And that, that's like, that kind of prevents us from getting to that place, right? Do you use that as a way to say, like, I'm not going to be around technology so I can get closer? Is that a, is that a conscious thing?
1: Well, I just know that I feel the worst about myself or within myself when I'm on my phone too much. I just do. Like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you don't even open the blinds and have a look outside. You roll over and you grab your phone, which is actually probably under your pillow or on your bed now, not even on the side table, and you grab it, you unlock it, you scroll on Facebook, you close that, you scroll on Instagram, you close that, then you check your emails and you check your messages and that is so much information when you wake up in the morning that you're all jumbled up because you've seen someone that can sing better than you. You've seen someone that can play guitar better than you. You've seen someone that can surf better than you. You've seen someone that's better looking than you. And that's all in 10 minutes before you're even consciously aware that you're in your own fucking day and you can do whatever the hell you want with it. It's just so much. And it's, just, it's distorting the way that we should be living. It's not normal. We've got computers in our pockets now. It's just hectic. I've got a phone. Who doesn't have a phone? Right. But it's, yeah, we're we're addicted to technology. Everyone's addicted to technology.
0: How has the pandemic changed for you, like in terms of being less connected or being more creative? Has it been good for you?
1: I've been more creative, definitely. I consciously have this Virtual phone battle you know what I mean like you just need to be aware of it and then you can do it less and then you feel better that you haven't done it and I think the thing is now is people are just so contactable that it feels like you can't get away and like positive like the bigger you are you're gonna get herds of love from people but you're gonna get the opposite of it as well and that's the bit there that I think's the worst because People avidly, genuinely try to make other people feel less than and like shit because their lives suck or whatever the fucking reason is. Who even knows? But that's the worst part. That's the worst part because those people try and get in your head. Like their aim is so that you see something shit that's written about you, their projection of you. They don't even fucking know you. And that can ruin your whole day. Like you can have a thousand beautiful, lovely comments and then you can have one that's awful and it will stick with you forever. And like, we're too contactable. That's not normal. Like I don't like everyone. Not everyone's going to like me. Stop getting people to like you because you don't even fucking like everyone. The more that you try and be a people pleaser, you're just wasting your time from being the all authentic self because... Even if you're trying to be a people pleaser, the same amount of people are still going to fucking dislike you. So you're going to need to just be you and then it's genuine and then the love that you get is genuine and then that negative element, fuck that. This is the positive element and you need to open that up and live that and that's what the virtual world takes away from people is their life. Yeah. They must be better than mine because they're skinnier. They're more tanned. They're in the Maldives. They're in blah blah blah. I'm just in my room. I look like shit. It's just it's just a fucking facade. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Let me shift gears a little bit and just ask you about building your songs because I'm I'm curious where it, maybe it varies song by song. But how does a song typically come together for you? Is there a typical way?
1: Depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It depends. I mean, sometimes there are a couple of songs glued together. Like sometimes if I've been holding on to something that I think needs to be used somewhere but I don't know how to write it into a song, sometimes I take like two or three songs and put them together. Sometimes I just think, you know, I really want to broaden my knowledge so let's learn a couple more chord progressions on the piano or on the guitar or let's learn a new scale on the bass or let's learn a new drum groove, you know, Mm. that's it. Just applying some new knowledge every time you write something opens it up, not applying the same thing again and again. So it just comes from everywhere. Sometimes it's vocal. Sometimes what I like to do with a bass line is you got to be able to hum the bass line. So usually I'll hum it and then play it instead of just playing it.
0: That's cool. I like that.
1: Yeah. Like this comes in all different ways. It depends how I'm writing. If I'm writing something on Pro Tools, it'll be different to writing in Ableton. Or if I'm not using any of that, sometimes it's, it'll come from looping or it'll just come straight off the piano, or straight off the guitar, whatever.
0: I edit podcasts. I don't make music and I don't edit music. But I want to ask a question that might seem like a dumb question. But how do you not get overwhelmed by the millions of potential sounds that are out there when you're looking at, you know, samples or beats or like, how do you control that so that you're feeling like you're getting access to what you need? Aren't there like millions and millions and millions of potential things you could use Uh, out there?
1: Yeah, but you know what that's good for is um, you can't put it all in one song. So just write a million songs. (laughs) There's so many samples out there, so many sounds out there, so many different fucking things. Like, we're not short of writing anything. It's all there. Everything that we always need or want is there. It's already there. We just live among this wealth of knowledge, which is so accessible now because people have Patreon where they teach beat making and like producing or drums keys guitar like there's no shortage of inspiration now because you can grab it you will not grab it off someone else because that kind of implies stealing you can see how somebody else interprets something and you're just like I didn't think of it that way thanks so much for opening me up to that because I'm going to apply that but just don't steal it because it's plagiarism.
0: <laughs> was there an evolution? Because I read that you started with a two-channel kind of setup, and then now you have, you know, a lot more than that. Did that take? Yeah. Did <laughs> that take some getting used to, or or what? Did that feel natural to like to open that up?
1: The thing with it is, is it was more so because of the two-channel thing. You can only mix it to a certain degree because you, you there's only two channels. There was only two channels to mix with all these other things coming down the same line, which is not good because um, it was kind of like pre-EQ'd before it came down the line. So it was the best that it could have been managing with two channels, but I'm a fucking stereo freak. And I that was pretty much, it was double mono. So like drums coming down one and everything coming down the other and it was just clutter, there was no separation. And that was the problem is because all these generic loop stations that you can buy You can't really achieve that separation that well. And we did a few things where we synchronised a bunch of loop stations together by syncing the internal clock within them so that they run at the same time so you don't get any lag and all that. But for what I was trying to do with all these other instruments and all this other shit, it just wasn't going to work that way for me. So we thought, well, the only way that we can achieve what we're trying to do is if we build it. So it took two years to build it and um, it's a fucking beast. <laughs> <laughs> and the good thing is that I love about it is that so many people have copied my pedal board exactly. They've copied my songs very similar and um, there's no fucking way anyone's going to figure out how this works. <laughs> if somebody does, I'll send you a guitar. Legit, I'll actually send you a guitar.
0: <laughs> Is that annoying to see that, to see the pedalboard copy, or or do you see it as passing along knowledge?
1: I think it's a bit more like that. Some people don't know where to begin, so they're, they're really heavily inspired by somebody, and that's where they, they begin. That's their starting point, and they venture off into their own area. Like when I was 14 years old, I really wanted to be Bon Iver because I yeah. just thought that everything that he does is just insane, but I'm not, you know what I mean? But it it started songwriting. It started playing in alternate tunings and all that type of thing. There's inspiration where people are inspired by everyone that we see and everyone that we listen to. Like we all are bits of each other, but you just can't steal it and plagiarise it because that is illegal and that's not flattering to see that. Happening, and it happens all the time and it's just like it's dumb. Yeah. Why waste your time emulating somebody else when you can be yourself that is inspired by many different avenues? And also you can do covers of other people's songs as well. If you love them that much, do a cover. But,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, there's a whole thing with it. And I've seen many people cover my songs and it's like it's really nice. I just think it's really cute, and I've also seen many people steal my pedal board and steal my exact setup and stuff like that. Not the current one, the old one. And I just think, you know, I hope that they they be themselves with that information because they're their own person, and it's all good to be to be inspired by other people. But what's the point in wasting? your talents and your existence when you can literally be your own artist your own fucking thing don't be the next something just be you you know
0: yeah that makes sense i mean that's like it's also just it's not going to get you that far if your approach is just take this exact thing someone else is doing and try to do it because like you said you're not going to break the code
1: no and people are just going to see that and go well you're a poser because you've just you're just trying to be blah 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 you're just trying to be blah, blah, blah. And that's like, you know, yeah. you don't want that. You don't want that. I haven't really been through that. But like I said, fuck, I really wanted to be Bon Iver. But I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not.
0: <laughs> right. right. But using it as inspiration is good because he's, he's
1: Use awesome. it as inspiration because there's so many things that you can be inspired by that there's really no need to copy.
0: Your music, I saw it written about a few times as spiritual nourishment. And I think that people who go to your shows feel that way. What was it like not being able to tour this year once you found out you couldn't?
1: I mean, I'm a live artist before I was a recording artist. So everything has always just been about the show. And I think that's why people come to the show is for the experience of it happening in, in real life. But I needed it, man. Like... It's done me absolute wonders. The sleep that I've caught up on, man, I literally found my head and just put it back on (laughs) my shoulders, twisted it on, pulled out all the weeds from my brain and just like fertilised the shit out of it and I feel like conditioned, positively rested and I have so much more to give people as well. I was ready to lift the blinds before this point. I wasn't doing many interviews. You couldn't get me on the phone. You couldn't get me any of that. I was just like this kind of solitude being that was closed off. And I don't feel that way anymore. I'm ready.
0: That's really awesome. Well, thank you. And that means that we're able to talk to you today. So that's cool.
1: It does, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I know you were about to go on tour with a new band. Yeah. Yeah which sounds like it would have been cool, but just pick that up when you can and see where it takes you, right?
1: Well, all it is is there are session musicians backing me because how the songs on the new record have been made is not on a looping basis for a lot of it. Like There is still loops within it, but it will be looping and Backing band because when I was in there, I just when I was in the studio recording my record, I just thought I don't want to have any boundaries. I'm gonna write it and I'll figure out how to play it later. And the conclusion was, fucking, let's get three other motherfuckers up there on top of what I'm already doing. But it's not gonna be for the whole show, it's just a portion of the show where they will come and assist me and the tunes, mm-hmm. and then I'll leave, and then I'll just fucking go nuts again, you know?
0: You do go nuts at your shows. So I'm a live yeah. music person, and a lot of the people listening came up as music fans with live music. Your shows are, are a lot of fun. How do you approach them in terms of, like, sequencing between your singing and playing guitar? and the like? Do you, do you think about that, or do you just go out there and start playing and have fun? I
1: don't think about it. I prepare a lot before I get on the stage. I do this thing um, where I go into lockdown. So I'll sound check for two hours and then I'll go and have dinner and then I'll lock myself in my dressing room for about three hours and I've got an entire routine where I do like vocal steaming, vocal warm-ups, I practice guitar scales to the click, I practice on my drum pad to the click. I practice my trumpet and my sax and tune them up, clean them out, um, get the valves all nice and warm and do light therapy, water therapy, lots of stretching, meditation, put my fucking outfit on. And then I'm like really zen. I have this uh, Chinese like herbal tea drink that's like kind of, it's like a natural sedative, you know what I mean? It's Mm. just... um, It's like a cup of tea, really, but without the caffeine. And um, then I'm good to go.
0: Wow. That's a physical and mental preparation.
1: Yeah, it's like the way that I explain being on tour for me is like, somebody being in the Olympics or somebody like a soldier who's in the military and they have a specific schedule, they eat a specific way at a specific time and that's how I am. Like people think I'm this airy-fairy, like unshowered hippie. I'm not. I'm like, you know, I'm OCD as fuck and like really, really clean. Like I just cannot have dirty hands I can't have things out of place I can't you know all that type of shit I just have really hectic OCD that it needs to be followed a certain way I wake up at a certain time I eat specific things I have specific drinks and like it's all my own doing but it's just like it's like preparing for your big race in the Olympics it's like preparing for the moment that you step on stage and you you want that gold medal that's how I feel about music
0: the energy you put into the shows is is amazing. And I've seen a lot of, like in the US, there's a band called Fish, who you, you may have heard of, who does like a lot of long improvisational jams. There's a lot of like improvisational rock bands that that I listen to. And your approach to building peaks And a live show is is really cool and I'm just curious if you because it seems different than the the tracks on the albums which of course are like a little more straightforward or a little more (laughs) of a you know produced take did you listen to like improvisational stuff growing up jazz open open stuff like that because I hear a lot of that in your live performances
1: I not too much listen to recorded improv stuff. It's going to shows and watching improv actually mm. happen.
0: Mm-hmm. It's cool to watch. You're expert at building those peaks, which I know the audience, you know, obviously builds with, right? <laughs> and then you have the peak and then, you know, you it's move all about on. the
1: face expression, man. Like <laughs> just being animated. You know what I mean? If I yeah. was just like, if I was doing what I was doing, but I was straight face and I was like looking at my shoes. Yeah. It's about connection, expression, you know, we're yeah. here, fucking let's be here together. And that's the aim. It's just like, here's my brain. I'm inviting you in to come and witness what the hell goes on in there.
0: I feel like <laughs> this conversation has given me a little bit of that. So I appreciate that. It's like well, a one what's your perception one-on-one concert.
1: on the From the conversation, what is the perception that you have?
0: It's interesting because you have this, this mix of being really grounded and self-aware but also really determined and I can tell that you have this like sense of determination that I, I wanted to ask you like where if you've had that your whole life because it seems like you you know what you want to do and you're going to do it and I think that's awesome. But you also, you're very in touch with your own consciousness, which is hard to do in this day and age as, as we've discussed.
1: Mm-hmm. Um- I mean, I, I, no, I haven't always been the way that I am. And thank you. That was really nice that, to hear that. Um, oh, no, I haven't always been this way. I, um, I've i always been really determined on what I wanted to achieve. And I always have a plan A, B, C, D, fucking all the way to the end and beyond. Like I just always have backup plans and like no eggs in one basket. Things spread out like that. Um But I mean, you know, we're all young, we're all teenagers at one point, we're all young adults as well who do silly things. And I've done a lot of silly fucking things and insensitive things and unconscious things and offended people and said things when I've been out of my mind that I don't mean and I've lost my mind and found it again and all that shit. And I think, you know, when I turned 25, I was just, I felt different, like it was almost like a, just a shift and I've had all this time off to really self-reflect and think about just being kinder to other people and in turn myself as well. And I just needed a, a break, I needed a rest and I'm loving life, loving it.
0: I do have to ask you about the album before we let you go because Terra Firma came out in February. I'm saying this in the past tense because that's when <laughs> this will come out. Is there anything that changed in terms of the way you approached making this album between this album and Flow State?
1: Yeah, Skint Row had nothing up my sleeves for this one. and had to start from scratch. But that's cool. That just proved to me that you can have nothing and recreate an entire body of work. So I kind of needed that. The difference between Flow State and Terra Firma is Flow State. I had this catalog of music that I'd only ever played live, that I'd never recorded. So that was easy; just record it. It already exists. Terra Firma, there was a few things up my sleeves, but not a body of work. Mm. And um, I thought. I'll approach this a little bit differently because I feel like I'm happy to lift the blinds a bit and let people in and did a 10-day writing session with Matt Corby and Dan Hume for the purpose of let's just see what we can do, not necessarily it's going to be on the record. Mm -hmm. So four songs ended up coming out of that. I mean they were in there for 10 days so four songs were begun and then I was left with them for months after that and ended up, they sound different to how they initially did, but they would have never ended up that way if if we didn't have that time and and that time was great. I actually would love to do it again because I think it was really beneficial and just kicked it off well. And then there's two collabs on the record as well, um, which I hadn't done before and loved the shit out of it. And like I was saying earlier, no sonic boundaries, Right, 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 right. Figure it out later.
0: That's awesome. Well, congrats on getting it out there. And I know the singles that I've heard so far are really cool. So congrats. Um, Thanks. What do you want to do next now that this album's out there?
1: Tour the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Aren't weeds going to grow in your brain again?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course they will. That's like what you do, isn't it? You stray from the path and bring it back and start Mm -hmm. again and stray from the path and bring it back and start again. And um, the weeds will grow in my brain, but, like, I'll pull them out and there'll be, like, a little hidden gem in there somewhere. But moving into scoring and stuff. So, yeah, writing for shows, movies, video games. Wow. Yeah, and other people, producing for other people as well.
0: Cool. You're, like, literally keeping a ton of projects going at once
1: even the jams going
0: dude (laughs) (laughs) like you said
1: before lucky there's millions of samples out there
0: (laughs) yeah right right you're not going to run out of material (laughs) well thank you so much for joining this has been a lot of fun
1: thank you for your time as well
0: and now here's Tosh performing I am free let the light in and pretty lady I don't Thanks for joining us. Past, present, future live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit osirispod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love.